taking a little break from the book of John this morning. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4, the first 14 verses, a little story in uh, the beginning of the book of Acts about Peter and John. So this is before Paul comes on the scene in the book of Acts. It's while the believers are still largely in Jerusalem and Jesus has just left and the work of establishing the church is just getting off the ground. And in our passage, Peter and John are arrested and put on trial. And instead of being awed or scared, Peter takes the opportunity to preach boldly to the court. And not just to preach boldly, but to condemn the court's actions. So it's kind of a it's kind of an amazing story. And we're not gonna we're not gonna make it through all the way to the end of what happens, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Peter and John. And what we want to realize is what they were doing that's good and then emulate it. And the reason we know what they were doing was good is because near the end, it says that those who were putting them on trial began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And so what I want us to leave today with is an understanding of what it looks like when Peter and John look like Jesus. Or more particularly, what it looks like when you and I have been with Jesus. How we ought to behave in such a way as people will know we are Jesus' followers. So please stand for the reading of God's word from Acts chapter 4. We'll read verses 1 through 14. As they were speaking to the people, this is Peter and John, as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, And Annas, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. When they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, By what power, or in what name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, 
Let it be known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So what is it that Peter and John had done? Well, we didn't read it in the passage just now, but they had been on their way into the temple, and there had been a man there who was begging, who was disabled. And he's asking for money, and they said, no, no money, but what we do have we give in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. So now, no longer a cripple, the man stands up and begins praising God, and all the people gather around, and Peter and John take the opportunity to preach to the people in the temple. So that's the background coming up to this story, and we picked up with our reading right before, or, or right as they were preaching, and it says that then they were arrested and taken and put on trial. So the question is, what was it that made Caiaphas and Annas and all of those other men recognize Peter and John as having been with Jesus? What was it about their behavior, their words, that made people recognize that they had been with Jesus? Well, one of the primary things that stands out about Peter and John that they were shocked by was that they were Confident. Verse 13, now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John. What does confident mean? Well, it means bold. It means courageous. And so what I want you to realize first is that when we have been with Jesus... And what that means is that we have the fruit of Jesus in our life, right? We have been with Jesus. If you rec somebody recognizes that you have been with Jesus, it means they're recognizing Jesus in you, right? So there's the fruit of that relationship coming out as you're living your life. means that 
We're confident. Confident in what? Well, confident, number one, in the truth of what we're proclaiming, in the truth of what we're saying, right? Peter and John had no doubts about whether Jesus was the Christ. They had no doubts about how it was that this sick man had been made well. The lame man was able to walk now. Why? Well, because of Jesus Christ. So they were confident, they were bold, they were courageous. And that doesn't mean just that they weren't afraid as they stood there. It means that they spoke up, right? That's part of the confidence, that's part of the boldness that they had, was that they spoke up. They spoke up to those who had the authority to throw them in jail. They spoke up to those who had the authority to make their lives miserable. Right? That's boldness, isn't it? If we speak with strong words to people who don't have any ability to harm us, who don't have any ability to make our life miserable, well, it, it takes some amount of confidence to do that, right? But it's a lot harder to have that sort of confidence, to have that level of boldness when we're talking to people who can harm us, can hurt us in some way, right? Now, who is that? Well, for you, for me, I want you to think about this in a couple of different categories. One, you've got the civil magistrate, right? So, proclaiming the name of the Lord and the repentance of sin today is not illegal. And so, you're not likely to suffer very much for publicly proclaiming. You're not likely to suffer very much from the civil authorities, like Peter and John did, right? But that doesn't mean that there's nothing to be afraid of, right? Otherwise, you'd all be like, right, this isn't a problem. Why are you talking about this, pastor? We're all bold 100% of the time. No problem. But of course, it's not the case, right? We often need to grow in our confidence. So who is it? Well, I think that the people who are most able to make our life painful are the people that we most love. You think about that? Think about your relatives. Think about your parents. Think about your cousins, your aunts and uncles, people that you have relationship with. Do you have confidence when you speak to them? 
Are you willing to speak to them? Why do we need confidence then? Well, because those are the people who can make you suffer for what you've said, right? They can cut you off. They can call you names, and it hurts because you love them. They can harm or attempt to harm other relationships with people that you love. There's all sorts of things on the line when we begin to talk about our family, isn't there? But Peter and John were confident. That's what they began to recognize in them. They were confident as they spoke. And then they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. You see that? Now, if you can't talk with confidence, what I'm not saying this morning is that you should just shut your mouth. All right? But what I want you to realize is that if you're shaking and scared and, and mumbling and stumbling through your words and fearful, 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 you're not looking a lot like Jesus, are you? <laughs> so it's better to, better to stumble and to, and, to, and to claim what little boldness you have to get the words out there than to not. But let us grow in our confidence. The confidence starts with knowing the truth of what we're saying. If you doubt what it is that, that you have to say to somebody, then you're not going to say it with confidence. And when you don't say it with confidence, they're not going to recognize Jesus in you. And the message will not have the same authority, will it? Now, who else can make your life miserable besides your family? Your boss, right? those who are, in authority, who are in authority over you, and where you're more likely to get in trouble for talking about God, for talking about the things of God, for proclaiming his truth. Now, around this time, we begin to come up with a lot of objections to why we don't need to do this, why we don't need to be confident, why we don't need to be bold, why we don't need to speak. And so, some of us will say, you know, preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Right? Have you heard this before, St. Francis of Assisi? Preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Well, there's a good... There's a good nugget of truth behind that. 
which is to say that your actions speak louder than words. Right? That's another sort of proverb. It's true. Your actions speak louder than your words. And so part of what I'm part of why I'm encouraging and exhorting you to be confident is because your actions speak louder than your words. If you don't actually believe, that's an action, believe the truth of what you're saying, then stumbling through and saying it, which is going to speak louder? The words or the actions? Well, the actions speak louder. It's not to say the words haven't been spoken. They have. But your actions stand out. Somebody looks at you and and says to you after you've gotten done saying, now, you just, you need to realize God's kindness to you. It's, a, it's good. It's graciousness. It's, it's really, it's fantastic. If I were you, I, I would at least consider whether you want it. Well, is God's graciousness good? Yes. Have you said that? Yes. But they're going to look at you and they're going to think, what does this guy have that I want? Nothing. Right? They're not going to recognize you as having been with Jesus. Because if they recognized you as having been with Jesus, they would recognize that you had something worthwhile. So this is not in contrast, you know, the, the, this, this confidence is not in contrast with your actions. This confidence, this boldness that Peter and John have is their words and their actions, both. It takes confidence in Jesus Christ and in his word and in his power to say to the, beggar, to, the, yeah, to the lame man begging, stand up and walk in the name of Jesus Christ. What is the confidence? The confidence is in the name of Jesus Christ. Now another objection that people raise at this point is the objection that, you know, I don't, want, I don't want to offend people with my words. I'd rather just show them with my actions who Jesus is, demonstrate his love, right? What did Peter and John do? They healed a lame man. Loving or no? Loving, right? This is the action. The action leads to words. And so, they are not in conflict with one another. Both of them, the actions and the words, are loving. Peter and John are loving the people by telling them, you need to repent of crucifying Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's them loving
And yes, that sounds very offensive, doesn't it? You might call it tough love, right? But today we have such an attitude about love, about love being soft and gentle and never tough, that we've, we've got this concept that somehow if it's tough love, it's not love. It's bad love. It's faulty love. Right? Oh, yeah. There you go. It's not faulty love. It's salty love. That's a good, that's a good, uh, good way to remember. Tough love isn't faulty love. It's salty love. I'm going to put that on Twitter. <laughs> oh my. Listen, this 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 confidence. It comes in spite of the fact that Peter and John are uneducated. Right? So if you think that you don't have the ability to do this because you haven't been through theological training, think again. Okay? If you think that you don't have the ability to have this kind of confidence because you haven't studied apologetics and how to talk to people, because you haven't taken enough psychology courses to understand how to effectively communicate, right? If you think that you're missing something, that you're missing some sort of training, some sort of education, that there's something missing in you that you need to study up on before you can do this, you need to think again. You don't need to study. You don't need to think about, study up on it. You don't need to take more classes. Peter and John were uneducated. They didn't have higher education. They were untrained. They were lay people, commoners. They didn't hold any office or position that was represented, that, that was, uh, that was um, recognized by the world, right? And yet they had been set apart by Jesus Christ. And so you have been set apart by Jesus Christ to this work of being a Christian, a little Christ. You have been made a priest of the Most High. You have been with Jesus. Now act like These were not men who were accustomed to being in the presence of people like the Sanhedrin. These were men who were accustomed to fishing. They were accustomed to the docks and the boats, not to the robes. 
and the scholarship. And so the way that they acted and spoke reminded them of Jesus. And as soon as it reminded them of Jesus, they credited it to the fact that these men had spent time with Jesus. In other words, Jesus gets the glory, doesn't he? When these men act like Jesus, Jesus' name is glorified. This is not about seeking your own glory. This is not about seeking your own name among men. When they recognize you as a follower of Jesus, because you're acting like Jesus, because you're speaking like Jesus, because you are confident in the words that you speak like Jesus was confident? Jesus gets the credit. How glorious is that? You don't need to be worried about your own reputation. Jesus gets the credit. So what was Jesus like? How did they recognize these men as having been with Jesus? Well, Jesus spoke with authority. Remember the people were shocked because he taught with authority, not like their scribes? They were shocked. This is what Jesus was like when he taught. taught with authority. So when you're trying to explain to somebody who God is, what it means to be a Christian, why they should stop sinning, what the consequences of their sin are going to be. When you're calling somebody to repentance, there are all kinds of truths that you proclaim that you need to explain to them, are you confident in them? Are you going to tell them with authority, this is true? Or are you going to suggest that maybe they might think about whether your opinion also has any weight? The more you say, I feel... I believe and I think, the less you are acting like Jesus. Do you understand that? Jesus preached and spoke and taught people with authority. And he claimed that authority from his Father. And so don't be ashamed to say, God says, and then the truth that you need to proclaim to somebody. That's acting like Jesus. That's what Jesus said. I haven't said anything except for what my Father said. I feel, I believe, I just, I like 
I like to think that what are you doing when you say those words? You are making it about you, about your thoughts, about your brain, about your heart, about you. But when, when Jesus spoke with others, he spoke with the authority of truth. Knowing that what he was saying was absolutely true and then appealing to the truth of what he was saying. If it wasn't true, I wouldn't have told you. I mean, he appeals to the truth of what he's saying all the time. I don't say anything except for what the Father who sent me tells me to say. What is that? Well, that's just, that's just a declaration that every word I speak is true. That's what he's saying. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not, if it were not so, I would have told you. That comfort that he offers to his disciples at that point, right? That's, that's comfort, isn't it? Is that not joyful for us? It's joyful for us. Why is it joyful for us? Because it's true. And that's why he follows it up with, it's true. And that's why so often what he starts with when he's speaking is, truly, truly, I say to you. What he's saying is true. If what you're saying is true, and you know it because of Jesus Christ, because of his word, then say it. Say it with confidence. Say it with boldness. Say it appealing to the truth of it, demanding the truth of it, declaring the truth of it. When Peter and John say, if we're on trial because of the benefit done to a sick man that he was made well, and you want to know how it is that we did it, well, it was in the name of Jesus Christ. That's the truth. It's the simple truth. That's what they said, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. It was in the power of the name of Jesus Christ that he stood up and walked. And so then they say, in whose name and what authority do you do these things? Where do you get this power? Well, Jesus Christ. It's simple, isn't it? Well, what gives you the right to say that to me? Jesus Christ. What, you think you're better than me? No, I think Jesus is better than you. And Jesus has given us his word. He's told us what we need to do, what we need to believe. He 
You and me, we're the same. Jesus is different. That's why I speak with authority. That's why I speak with confidence to you. The, the context of everything that Jesus did and everything that Peter and John say in this passage is love. Okay, Remember what Paul says, if you speak the truth without love, what are you? A resounding gong. And so here in this passage, the love is demonstrated so abundantly, so clearly, through the healing of this man, there's no question what the context is, right? Peter and John love. They're filled with love. Jesus was constantly healing people. Why? Because he's loving. And so, yes, your words should be done in the context of your love. They should be done with, they should be spoken with love. Right? And yet we should not be shocked. We should not be confused. If many people are offended at what we say. Okay? Why? Well, because many people were offended when Jesus spoke. Many people were offended at what Peter and John said here. That's part of how they recognized them as having been with Jesus. What did Jesus do? He spoke the truth in love, and many were offended by it. What did Peter and John do? They spoke the truth in love, and many people were offended by it. Who was most offended? Those who claimed to be religious. Those were the people who were most offended, both by Peter and John and by Jesus, and by John the Baptist. We'll get back to the book of John, and we'll, be, we'll begin to see some of that. <clears throat> They're, those religious leaders, that's who Peter and John are standing trial with. So now let me ask you a question. When you get to the point where you know somebody is religious, you know they claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, and you know that what they believe is leading them straight to hell, and you know that if you were to point it out, they would be absolutely livid with you. What's the loving thing to do? 
try to ignore them? No. Say it. Peter and John declare the truth in love to the Sanhedrin. All the religious, most powerful men. It's loving them to say, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, he is Lord. They're pointing out sin and condemning it, aren't they? And so they recognize him as having been with Jesus. Why? Well, because Jesus pointed out sin and condemned it. Today there are many people, many pastors, many churches that are committed to being the opposite of Peter and John. No authority. Just an invitation to join me on my bandwagon of uncertainty. Okay, yeah, well, that's great. What? I mean, thanks? No thanks. Bandwagons of uncertainty aren't just my thing. Whose thing are they? Seriously. And that's why I say to you guys, you know, the more you talk about my opinion, well, my take on the matter, the way I look at it, I think, I feel, you're just, you're just saying there's nothing certain. Here's what I think. I know there's a billion other things that other people think. Take your pick, it doesn't really matter. Let's stop talking that way. Let's speak with the authority of God's word. When we're saying God's truth, let's say it with God's authority. And let's not have our top commitment being that we go through life without having anybody get offended at us. If that's our number one commitment, as a church, as individuals, we're not ever going to be recognized as people who have been with Jesus. Because there were an awful lot of people who were offended at what Jesus did and said, aren't there? And we can't refuse to say God's no. And what I mean by God's no is pointing out sin and condemning it and calling people to repent, to leave it. That's God saying, no, don't do that. Do this instead and have life. 
Now, I have some good news for you. And the good news is this. Peter and John, they're apostles, right? They got to spend three years with Jesus, right? And so we get to the passage, we get to the point where it says they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And what's our, what's our inclination to think? What? Well, I wish I could have spent time with Jesus. They had something so wonderful, so marvelous. That's, that's so great that they got to be that way because they got to spend time with him that way. But why, why did they live this way? Why did they have boldness and confidence before the authorities? It's not because Peter and John spent time with Jesus that they were this way. Okay? Not in the physical sense. Just before he was crucified, so just a little while ago, in the story, right? Just before Jesus was crucified, none of them had any confidence or boldness. They ran away. They were scared. Peter denied Jesus. They had no confidence. They had no boldness. They thought he was, and then they thought, well, who knows what he is? He's dead, so I guess he's nobody, you know? They're so sad because they thought that he was something, that they thought he was a prophet. This is just a little while ago. Why did they get recognized as having spent time with Jesus? Because Jesus gave them his spirit. And that's why Jesus said, it is better for you that I go away. so that you can have the Holy Spirit. And that has not been given only to Peter and John, but to you and me. And so don't, don't pull out some pity party card and say to yourself, oh, well, the pastor wants me to act like an apostle, like Peter and John, and they got to spend time with Jesus. Jesus has given you his Spirit, and that is what made Peter and John live holy lives. That is what made Peter and John loving. That is what made Peter and John filled with the fruit of the Spirit. That's what gave them confidence to speak to others with boldness, with love. You, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if he has made you into a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit of God within you. And you have the ability to speak and to act this way. So let your actions... Remind people of Jesus. 
Where was Peter and John's attention as they were on their way into the temple? Was it on the greatness of the architecture still? No, it was on the beggar. That's where this starts. Do you see that? Their actions, the, their, their whole outlook on life had been flipped on its head. They cared for the least of these. They weren't worried anymore about who was going to be the greatest. They weren't going in looking to see who they could hobnob with. They weren't worried about whether they were going to get a good seat or a good parking spot or whether they were going to get enough attention or whether anybody was going to, whether they were going to feel lonely there. See, when you go places, these are the things that they take up your, your mind, aren't they? So much of the time. And, and you're driving and you drive right by the person that's broken down on the side of the road because you aren't even paying attention. Because why? Because you're worried about yourself. Our actions have to be filled with the love of Jesus Christ, starting for the least of these. When we begin to have our heart turned to those who are most in need. Most in need physically, most in need spiritually through their own sin, through having given themselves over to wickedness. Those who are most in need, if that's who our care is for, first, people will begin to recognize Jesus in us. We ought to be showing those who haven't encountered Jesus what he's like. Caiaphas, the high priest, all those men, they encountered Jesus. It had been an eye-opening experience for them. And then they recognized Jesus in Peter and John. But there are other people who haven't encountered Jesus. You're their first encounter. More and more today, that's true. People who have no concept of who Jesus is, they've never heard his message, they've never heard his words, they don't know what he claims. You are Jesus in their eyes. Are you going to act like him? Are you going to speak like him? Are you going to love like him? Remember, what you do and what you say, that represents Jesus. So let's have his confidence. Let's have his love. Let's speak without fear or embarrassment. Let's speak claiming the authority of God in his word.
And yes, that will mean being hated. By some. We know this because Jesus said it. The servant is not greater than his master. That's what he said. He said, you'll be hated. The servant isn't greater than his master. And so I guarantee it. If you act like Jesus, some people will hate you. I guarantee it. I am 100% confident. Why? Because Jesus said it. Truly, truly, I say to you, <laughs> if you act like Jesus, some people will hate you. Why do I keep saying it? Well, because we're so tempted to think that we can finagle some sort of way to live life in such a way as to be like Jesus and not be hated. And what is that except for a thought that I, the servant, am greater than Jesus, the master? That's all that thought is. Every time you think that you can live like Jesus, that you can live proclaiming his message, declaring his love, showing it, acting it, speaking it, and that you'll do it in such a way as to keep people from being offended. You are saying to yourself, I'm better than Jesus. And you're not. How are you going to live this way? How are you going to have spent time with Jesus? Well, I already said, if you have the Holy Spirit, that's what it is, right? But, if you think that you've got it made and you don't need to spend time in God's Word, that you don't need to spend time in prayer, you'll find that the Holy Spirit doesn't seem to be around in your life. You know what I'm saying? We're warned not to grieve the Holy Spirit. I'm not trying to make some sort of statement about salvation, how you can lose it and regain it and lose it and regain it or something along those lines. No, that's not what I'm saying. All I'm saying is if you don't spend time studying the words of God, the Holy Spirit inspired these words and gave them to us, Right? If you want to know what it is that you're supposed to say, here. Read them. Well, didn't you say before you don't need to study? Yeah. But I didn't say you don't need to spend time with the Holy Spirit. 
And how are you going to spend time with the Holy Spirit? By reading what he has to say. By talking to him. By praying. When Peter and John and the other disciples received the Holy Spirit, that changed everything. That's what made the difference. That's what made them act this way. And that's what will make you act this way too. Having the Holy Spirit in your life. We think today that the gospel can be made inoffensive. In the words of one cultural critic about our generation today, he says, we want positive feedback only. In the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking about that statement and thinking about the statement by Christians who say that they want to be gospel-centered. And I think that they mean the same thing. I want to give people positive feedback only. Because that's what people really want to hear. Positive feedback only. You understand what I'm driving at? And so if I say to somebody, do you mean that you want to be gospel-centered or that you want to give people positive feedback only? Don't you think they might get offended? I think they might get offended. always the religious that get most offended, isn't it? 